Welcome to the Thirst World Problems Podcast, where we talk about drinks, current events, music, and more. Now, here's your host, Nick Dugall, and his panel of experts, B, Bell, and the infamous Doc. Yeah, yeah man, just shut up and do it. I am not God a star. Damn, I am not that dog. dude. Yeah, look at that. Look at that. Broke the ice right here. God damn. Bell, you just talk too much, man. Just shut up and just do it, man. Like, God. Trying to be all. Just got told to shut up by an icon, man. All right. That's how it is. Yeah, I'm glad, glad I booked you, DC. Thanks yeah, a lot, man. buddy. You good. <laughs> all right. This is Bell coming at you from behind the mic on Thirst World Problems. I got Nick, I've got B, and we have a legend with us today. We've got my man here, DC. If you've been at a basketball game, if you're an old head and been at any of these parties, you're going to know exactly, exactly where this guy is from. But I don't want to get into it. I don't want to steal any more mic time here. So we're going to hand it over and we can just do a little bit of a introduction, a little claim to fame here if you like DC. Hey, man. DC the brains supreme of the tag team in the building. Sprinkles! Let's go. Now, DC, I have a quick question. I'm pretty sure you've never gotten this uh, question to ask before. Uh, how did you create the song? No, I'm kidding. What I want to talk about first <laughs> is let's let's start from the beginning here. Uh, are you are you still in Atlanta? Mm-hmm. Is this, yeah. So in the beginning. What what is what have you seen from the beginning to what it is now in Atlanta? What have you noticed differently? What do you like? What don't you like for music wise? I mean, back then it was the best kept secret, right? And I was a young man, and the ratio of women was fifteen to one, and I fall off. You know, when I first moved here, I'm the head DJ of the number one strip club in the city three days in. So I've had a good life. I've had fun. And I, and I watched it. How old were you when you started working? I started working in Magic you? City. I started working in Magic City when I was 23 years old. I just left California. Oh, <laughs> I, I was actually trying to get a job at CNN. And I just got here. And I, I, I remember to this day because that Friday we went to see uh, Do the Right Thing, Spike Lee. 1989, and after the after we went to the movies, we went to Magic City, and the DJ was drunk or something. And I, Big Tim, he was a security dude. Um, he was like, "They're going Magic right there. Go, go talk to him." And I was like, "Hey man, you need a DJ?" He's like, "Nah, but come see me Monday." Went and see him Monday. He's like, "I don't need no DJ, but I need a cook. Can you cook?" I was like, "Yeah, I can share." So you'd be a cook along with this other lady and the backup DJ, and the other DJ. Was like, oh man, I got I got a young dude for a DJ. I can make him do all the dirty work. And he was like, hey man, <laughs> DJ for me for a while while I go uh, run some errands. And you know, this beginning of hip hop, you know, this is you don't let nobody on your turntables. You know what I'm saying? Like that. Yeah. That's just a no no. You don't let nobody on your mic. That's just the way it was back then. And he was overconfident. It, it wasn't even that. He just. One, he wanted to go do something else because he thought he had somebody that could just come in there and just do just just cover for him. But he didn't realize, and I didn't realize that I was a really damn good DJ. And I wasn't from Georgia; <laughs> I was from California. I went to school in California, so I bought all that articulation and that different vibe. And I made some girls more money than they had never made in that day. And I ended up DJing the whole day. 
And that Sunday we had a meeting and where, you know, everybody, all the girls and all the employees and we had stuff out. And before the meeting even started, I'll never forget it. Indiegogo was like, Magic, we want him. They pointed at me and it was like, all right, you up. And I was the head DJ ever since. And that it took a week. And for me, that was just, <laughs> we fell in Atlanta. We were performing everywhere. We were just trying to do everything, right? And What, what year I, was this? 1989. This summer, this July 1989. I get there when Babyface and L.A. get there. Bobby Brown get there. Everybody started getting there around that time. And So you were there right for the transformation. Right, I was there at the beginning of the transformation. And Ann was one of the main parts of the yeah. transformation because I was DJing at the Hot Club in the city. So therefore, everybody knew me because they all came into the club. And it was a watering hole. There was only like three black strip clubs back then. And we all knew each other. So, and then there was only really two hopping, <laughs> three hopping clubs, Sensations, and then Dominique's, and then Dion's. And then Dion got drafted that year. So Dion was always, Dion, he was always in his DJ booth with me. All the Falcons came That's to this, all the Georgia Tech kids, everybody. I know everybody. <laughs> Damn. So for me, being a star was never a big thing because I was already a star because everybody knew me. And what better place to play your own records than the club, right? And that's what started it, man. And we were always making music. And, you know, we went, we, we got down to Atlanta and I realized that we were in Atlanta boodoo shake. You know, we couldn't just do hip hop down there. We had to do the up-tempo stuff. So I went to Steve and I was like, yo, Especially man, coming from the we got to make some up-tempo stuff that we ever going to get out of here. And he was like, I love bass music, man, but I just don't really know how to make that type of stuff. And I was like, don't think about it like that. Take it back to the essence, right? Because to me, the essence of hip-hop is planet rock. Because that started the B-Boy right. generation, right? That started breakdancing. That started all of that. And that was the biggest, all that electronic stuff, all the fish and clear and all that stuff, Egyptian lover, that was a that was the foundation of hip hop. People don't realize that. It's at least for me, right? As far as the up tempo stuff. So, I mean, he made the beat, and I had books of rhymes trying to match beats up and stuff. And I was working on a song called Wound. There it is, because it was like a party saying. And people think it's this big, you know, like I just really sat down and just put together a book and really got strategic with it. No, it was just a song, man. That's all it was. was just a song. <laughs> what, and it was, was a song that had the same uh, thing. Huh? What was what was a good Atlanta track in 89? Like, what was a, what was a song it up. that's only at, roll, roll it up, up my okay. homeboy. Roll, roll it up. And you had Shotty Gotta Be Tough. <laughs> you had all the Luke stuff. You had uh, Kilo, uh, Ali, Do You Hear What I Hear. You had Rocking the Dream. You had a whole, but it, you know, it was still, you know, back then it was just LA and New York, right? Right, right, right. And but, but Uncle Uncle Luke took over, right? Like that was he took over, but he could only go so far because he was dirty oh, and controversial, dirty, right? Yeah, right, right. And you know, here we come with Wound. There it is, and Wound. There it is. Broke it open for everybody because you know, actually, the year before, and this is part of the story because when I'm at Magic City. We get out the studio, I think it's August of 992, and I bring cassette to work and play it. And to this day, that song is the most, that song is, has gotten the biggest response on any song I have ever played in my life. And I've been DJing for 30 years. And, Damn, you know, but man. my hubris as a young man, 
I was like, all my records is going to hit, right? Because, you know, <laughs> youth is wasted on young, <laughs> right? So I had to go through all of that. And I stopped playing for a while because I had other records I wanted to play. And I'm going to start playing again in January. And the same thing happened this time. Record rep, um, Alan Cole, back in the day, we had record representatives in every region because it was just L.A. and New York. So they had a Southeast region, and they would give the CDs and the vinyl to all the DJs, all the radio stations. They were the one that serviced everybody. So they all the record people knew me. So they were like, we, we, Alan Cole was like, what is that? And I was like, that's my new record. He's like, give me that. I'm going to New York this week. I'm, I'm, I want to let them hear this. And two days later, I was getting a call from Columbia Records. And I'm like, this could work for everybody. So I'm getting calls from A&M, Epic, Warner Brothers. And they really didn't know what to do with it, right? And they were like, well, we want to develop you guys and get you AR and blah, blah, blah. I was like, dude, we ain't got time for that. And I almost gave up. Hmm. And Lisa McCall from Mercury Records, she worked at Mercury Records at the time. She was like, you need to talk, talk to Al Bell. And for those who don't know who Al Bell is, back in the day, three record companies started Soul Music. Stax Records was Al Bell. You got Barry Gordy with Motown and then Philly International, Right. And Al Bell used to own Stash Records, and the year before, he had put out Daisy Deuce, Daisy Deuce by Deuce, and it went gold. And I was like, I need to holler at him, because he know what to do with this type of music. Mm. I, I could deal with gold, but that's still some money, right? Because, you know, it wasn't a big <laughs> thing to go platinum or nothing like that back then. You just wanted to get put on. And called him up, took him about two weeks to call me, and called back. I was like, look, dude, I got a hit record. I'm in the biggest clubs in Atlanta. I've tested it. Everybody wants to, everybody wants it. You got, you can make you some money right now. You need to sign us now. He was like, all right. Like, uh, nah, 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 nah. And I was like, you ain't even heard the record, dude. And I'll never forget these words. He said, brother, I don't have to hear the record. I hear it in your spirit. So let's agree to agree. Get this thing moving. And I gave my two weeks of Magic City and that was the Freak Nick 93 signed a messed up record deal. <laughs> Two weeks yeah, after that. Signed, signed, signed a messed up record deal. <laughs> and then a month and a half tag team was platinum. So when you, when, you, when you put your two Damn. weeks in, like, did you give a letter or like, how do, how do you? No, nah, I went to Mad. I was like, hey, man. It was I was written on a $1 bill, man. Two weeks, man. He's like, yeah, you'll be back. You know what I mean? I, I'll never forget that. It wasn't like, he wasn't hating, but it was just like, okay, really? <laughs> Okay, and, and I was scared because yeah. I was—it was a leap of faith. It really was because I hadn't signed a contract yet, and I was just like, like "Freak Nick is my last day because I'm gonna make this happen." And you know, <laughs> it, it was one of those things there that there's certain events that happened that made that record big. One being Ed Lover used to come and see me all the time. He was a good friend of mine, and he, he heard the record right like a week before I left. And he, he was like, "Money? What is that?" And I was like. That's my new record. He was like, give me that. I gave him a cassette. He was like, I can't, can't do nothing with that. I need vinyl. <laughs> so maybe about two or three weeks later, I gave him vinyl. Man, I'm at the club, gave him vinyl because I was gone by then. He takes it back to New York. And him and Dre play with Woomp there did the whole show of Yo MTV raps. And that just. And the rest is history. There you go. That's how you skyrocket. I don't want to get too far away from like, I don't know. I was blown away at the start. You said you were 23 years old when you started working at Magic City. Like that seems like the prime oh, yeah, age yeah. 
to just be in one of those spots. So you got any any memories, any fond memories, any cool stories from uh, walking in that young? Nah, because it was places? just instant fun, right? And <laughs> and I can tell you this. I tell people this all the time. It liberated me as a man, right? Because chasing women wasn't the most important thing. After like a year, uh. it was like, I want the money, right? Like, because you're around like, all the time. Girls is girls. I want the money, and that changed me, right? Because it wasn't it wasn't the most important thing, you know. Getting that paper was, and I've always been a hustler, but that that really solidified it. And I mean, when when the record popped, I was still the same person because I got to watch from the DJ booth people be arrogant, be jerks, treat people bad. And I vowed that I would never be that person. And I wasn't. And you rise and you fall. And when you fall, what do you have? You know what I mean? And if you treat people like crap, those people are going to revel in your demise and you'll never recover. But, but if you're the same guy, it's almost like you're at the height of your career and you're still the DC and you still approach people. Everybody just, you're the same person. And I've been the same person to this day. All those girls I've met over all those years and those decades, all the people I met, I'm still friends with, and I'm the same person that I was back then. I can only be me. There you go. There's a lesson to take out of that one. Now, another thing that I really like is the transformation that I guess you've had, because you, like you said, you've had a crazy long career, and at the end of it here, especially when you get back to like the Geico commercials mm-hmm. and come back up again, then you started, like you said, you're doing two or three podcasts a day, all these interviews. So how has that transition been like for you? Like, what have you learned along the way that's allowed you to set yourself up as a businessman? At oh, this that, point? Is that actual, is that actual ice cream? <laughs> it is, eh? Uh, I've been, I see that commercial. Yo, oh my God. No. <laughs> so it's actually, it was actually a sweepstakes, right? And they, 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 we got the recipe down, so now I'm trying to maneuver, and uh, I can't really talk about it, but it's going down. And I'm, I'm the type of person that see, the, and this is this is this is this is the strip club. See, and the strip club to me was like those video shows, you know, those uh, game shows where they put you in a cylinder with a whole bunch of money, and you grab as much as you can in a minute. And then you walk out with as much as you can hold in two hands. That's what the club was to me. So I had always developed hustles. And people would see me make money. And they'd be like, oh, I'm going to copy what he's doing. And then they'd be like, ha I stole your hustle. I'd be like, you can have that hustle because I've got 10 more incubating, right? Because I take one opportunity and turn it into 10. That's, that's, that's true hustling, right? I'm not looking... You know, I always cover my butt. I always think about the worst case scenario and I always prepare. My whole thing is preparation. I always look at the glass half full as opposed to half empty. And I love when people come to me with problems or excuses because that's an opportunity for me to come up with a solution to put in my toolbox to always win. Right? Like, I think different. I, I, I just am. And, you know, I've always taken traumatic events in my life and I about it, they'll never happen again because you can't you can't let things get get you down like that because life is baked in the cake, right? And it's about adaptation. If somebody throw you a curve about how you're going to adapt and how you're going to maneuver and how you're going to come back 
and how you're going to succeed and how you're going to grow, right? And intellectually, you know, right now I am better at everything I've ever done at any time of my life. And that is because of the hard knocks that I've taken and not quitting, not giving up. That is, uh, you know, my my favorite thing is trying to achieve mastery. Whatever I do, I want mastery at it or a certain level of mastery to where all those things turn into things that come back and serve you. Like when I was young, I, I after so we're in a bad record, you know, record deal. Now we got some money, but the record deal wasn't ideal, and we were in a twenty-year legal battle. So I could have been an old and bitter artist like most are because they didn't get what they were supposed to get. <laughs> but I said, no, this is my, I'm gonna get my day in court. You better learn something, and that was my opportunity to turn into a, a paralegal. You know, learn learn the jargon. Learn how to put how how they make the motions. Learn how to put discovery together. Learn all these things, right? So when it was time for us to find a lawyer for real, I had all this discovery together. And Melinda Hayes, she had six, seven ways for us to prevail, and we prevailed. It took a long time, but I realized that, and and and, and I've always realized nobody's going to give you anything. You gotta go take it. Right, you gotta go get it. Like, I don't expect anything from anyone. I don't subscribe to the thing. Well, they don't teach us that. Well, this this isn't this and this. I don't. They ain't supposed to teach us that because I'm gonna go get it, and I don't care how hard it is. Mm. And I want it to be hard because if it's hard, I know a lot of people got most of the people not gonna try to do it. And I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in verified air, right? So. Okay, we, 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 I, I did that, and then around the 2000s, I was like, I can't get taken advantage of money-wise anymore, so let me become a financial advisor. So I basically became a licensed commodities broker, passed the test, and I still got that license today. And then I got into the self-help books, all while still doing shows, all, you know, the lawsuit kind of forced me to go back to the club, but that's, that's whole. And I'm making more money now at the club. I'm making show money at the clubs, right? I'm going to get the biggest club in Atlanta. Atlanta mm-hmm. Live. 3,500 people on a Saturday night. And I'm the head DJ. I'm getting paid, right? So I took all the opportunity <laughs> to learn all these things. And then just, you know, I started running my life like a corporation. I'm the corporation. And it's like, how do you do that? Well, you find out. And, and it's like, what kind of corporation is going to be? And you find a tax person, you find bookkeeping, you find all these things that help you run corporations. You're going to flail and you're going to fail a little bit, but I'm my own bookkeeper. I'm masterful at QuickBooks. I know where every penny goes. I'm a savvy <laughs> investor because I, you know, even though I was a licensed commodities broker, I'm emotional about money. <laughs> Sorry. So therefore, I, mm. like just trading is not my thing. But I found a good financial advisor where we just fill little buckets. And once you fill them little buckets, you fill them again and you leave them alone and you don't look at them. And I'm always made money. And then now I'm into crypto. Now I'm in NFTs. Now I'm in the metaverse because I had stopped for a while because the other other method was going so good. But I missed out on the financial crisis. I missed out on uh, uh, Bitcoin at the beginning. And I vowed that I would never miss out on anything again. So anything comes new that I think is everybody else thinks is hocus pocus, I double down and I learn about it. 
and just throw a thousand some two thousand dollars at it, right? If you bought two thousand dollars worth of Google stock in two thousand eight, what would it be worth now? Don't have to spend a lot at the beginning, right? So That's I right. just take and put money here, put a little money there, because all you need is one to hit. Even if the rest of them don't hit, if one hits, you're good. So that's why I've dedicated my life to all that. But at the same time, I realized that I have a forever hit record of evergreen product. When I'm sitting in the movie theater in, I think, 2004 or five, and I'm looking at Will Ferrell dance on the table in an elf. And <laughs> that really made me realize that it's not up to anybody else to give me my money. It's up to me. So, so even though I'm in these situations and I'm in these, va- you know, I'm in these loss, not lawsuits, but legal battles. I got to go get my own money because I got to forever hit records so I can go get shows. And I learned how to make lemonade out of lemons. So <clears throat> was there a time you didn't think you could do that, though? No, nah, man, because I'm willing like, to learn anything. I mean, you get stressed out, but I'm always willing to learn. I'm always willing to, to you know, I don't quit ever. If there's something I want to do, I don't quit. And as, as I've gotten older, here's the beauty of, here's the beauty of maturity and, and mastery and knowledge and intellect is that in life, we beat ourselves up sometimes over missed opportunities or mistakes, right? And the pandemic taught me that there are no missed opportunities and there are no mistakes. As long as you breathe in, you can correct all of that. Unless I'm trying to be in the NFL at 55, but that ain't going to happen. But you know what I'm saying? Within reason, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Within yeah. reason. So now... Hey, hey Tom Brady's yeah, exactly, still trying. Exactly. But... And, and I just know that as long as you breathe in, my mindset is there's nothing on this earth I can't do right. if I want right. to do it, right? And nothing's going to stop me. You know, within reason. So I study. I wake up every morning. I'm code. I'm I'm masterful at SEO, search engine optimization, all this stuff that I digital marketing, all of it, because it all comes back to serve me. And I remember people tell me, "DC, you're master of all trades, jack, you know, uh, you know, master of none." And I'm like, didn't listen because I realized that you live long enough. You hustle hard enough. You learn how to learn. It's not enough to just learn. You got to learn how to learn. You become masterful at these trades. And they come back to serve you in ways you could have never imagined. You know? And all that led to, to me becoming an actor. All that led to me doing voiceover. All that led to me doing SEO. All those traumatic events where I thought I made a mistake or I thought I missed the opportunity. I corrected it all. And, you know, when the pandemic hit, it's like the greatest thing that ever happened to me because we all had to stop at the same time. And now we're in Serengeti together, which is going to be predator prey, <laughs> right? That's right. And I chose <laughs> to reinvent myself. And, I, I you know, I, everybody asked us the same question. What are you going to do? And I was like, can't do shows, can't do this, can't do that. But I can't rock this microphone. And I went back and all of my all my old voiceover stuff, and I dedicated a month, that first month, to just just listening to all my old tapes, and it just was gut wrenching because to hear yourself talk ten years ago, 
and hear all the bullshit that you were spewing. And I just thought I could just whoop there. It is my way through anything because of who I was. And I realized, and it was heartbreaking. <laughs> it was heartbreaking because I realized that it wasn't my coach's fault. Cause I was like, they don't know what they doing. It wasn't their fault, but it was mine. Right. And, but because I had quit and because I started acting, I'm listening to what they're telling me. And I didn't understand it back then, but, but now I understand it. I, I do my voice. So my first script over, I said, I could do this over and do this dope. And when I did it, it was angelic because it was the first time I had my mastery over my, my voice. And then I started booking instantly because back then it was like, we're all in this together there. COVID, right? That's, that was the voice. And that's my voice. So it fell right in. And then all of a sudden I shoot my first movie. And in the pandemic, I shoot my second movie in the pandemic. I get a whole bunch more voiceovers. Then I get an episode of Tyler Perry, House of Pain. And then here come Geico. Right? I was doing it before Geico got here. Right? And then when Geico got here, it was like, they called me and my, my agent called me Lena. People store in Atlanta. And she was like, DC, you booked a Geico commercial. I was like, don't play with me. I ain't even audition for no Geico commercial. It's like, no, DCC, they want tag team. And I was like, oh. When check the tag team phone, there it was. And the fact that I'm an SEO master, or I, I'm very good at SEO and built the websites back then, 2000, you know, 2011, you type in tag team, it was all wrestling. You type in tag team today, it's all tag team, right? And they didn't wait. They went to my IMDB, called my agent. I said, well, this is synergy. I let my agent make the deal because that's what they do anyway. And it ended up being the biggest deal I've ever made in my life, period. And we about to shoot more Geico commercials. We about to do oh my God. The, it, it, It's not because I did the Geico commercials, it's because I kept hustling. Right, it's like, like that's how I became, became my own publicist. Everybody was like, you know, I was like, I need a publicist because like I can't, can't go do shows. So let me just, you know, keep pumping it up. And nobody wanted to work with me because we we're in a pandemic. And I said, forget that. So whenever I get stuck, when somebody tell me I can't do something, I join an organization because organizations are filled with people who love their profession, who've been doing it 10, 20, 30, 40 years. I said, I'm going to be my own damn publicist. And I joined, uh, uh, you see, when, when I send you an email, you see all those logos at the bottom? Those are organizations oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that I'm a part of. Because when, when I want to learn something, I go to that organization and they got all the resources. All you got to do is ask, ask, ask questions. And I joined the Public Relations Society of America two days in during Super Bowl week. I got this press release I want to put out, but I was like, let me talk to them because they got the guest that was the CEO of this big firm. and. I raised my hand. I was like, hey, I got press release. Are they still relevant? And she was like, what's it for? I was like, well, I'm kind of featured in a national commercial called Scoop. There it is. I know it's going to happen. And I'm looking at the chat and just blew up the entire Zoom call. Now the whole conversation is about me. And I get my questions answered. And everybody's like, I, man, my dog loves that, that commercial. My kid loves that Like, they just, just went crazy. <laughs> what is he doing here? And I'm like, hey, I'm trying to get answers. And the CEO is like, of course that press release is going to work. Because the whole last year has been about COVID. And the whole last year has been about politics. And here you guys come throwing sprinkles and spinning scoops and DC, your smile. You're going to go here for all the publicists, here for all the journalists, here for all the TV talk shows, here for all the podcasters. Make sure your pictures is just tight. 
And it's the reason that you and I are talking right now. And it has opened my life and just opened things up for me that I could have never thought imaginable. You see what I'm saying? Because I kept hustling. I didn't take no for answer. I went and found the information. Right? And it is that simple. And when you find out the information, then you know if it's for you or not for you. Right? And then you don't waste time trying to figure out if I need to do this or if I need to go here or I need to go there. You go into a place where you got people that's been doing it for 40 years can tell you how to do it. I'm about to start going out on a speaking tour, right, for motivational speaking because I got mentors that make $1.5 million a year putting me on game. All because I joined NSA, National Speakers Association. Whatever you want to do in life, there's an association, a society, uh, or organization that can put you on game and get you where you want to be. And once you get the information, then it's just about your hustle, right? So now I'm shooting movies. Now I'm in TV shows. Now I'm doing voiceover, doing tons of SEO. Now we're on two tours, right? And I'm about to do a lot of marketing for all these brands. I'm on the cover of the biggest marketing magazine in the world, for commercial of the year, like I try to take one opportunity and turn it into 10. And everybody's like, you can't do all that stuff, DC. I was like, you know what? You're right. I can't do everything, but I sure enough to be prepared for everything. They'd be like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I just shake my head because I'm like, you just disapproved. I mean, you just approved of the thing that you just disapproved of with me saying it differently. Right, and I know that because for me, preparation is doing everything. All I do is prepare for all these seeds that I plant. Right, I don't plant a seed unless I prepare for it. But I plant that seed, let it go. I'm not emotional with that seed. I don't sit there and be like, "Come on, seed, grow." I don't get mad at it if it don't grow. I plant the seed, keep moving because I know eventually that seed is going to grow. I don't know how fast this is going to grow. And I plant so many seeds in my life that I stand before you in a first opportunity unimaginable. Because 28 years ago, I planted a seed called Oomph. There it is. And now that thing is a sequoia. It ain't going nowhere. Thanks for listening to the Thirst World Problems Podcast. For more exclusive content, follow us on Instagram at Thirst World Pod. Make sure to subscribe, like, and share.